podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. We'll get back to your music shortly, but first, did you know that prescription prices are different at different pharmacies? You could literally drive across the street and get a different price. That's crazy. But with GoodRx, you can instantly compare prices at every pharmacy in your neighborhood and save up to 80%. You're probably thinking there's a catch, right? Nope. It's 100% free and can save you money whether you have insurance or not. In fact, it can often beat your copay. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Oh my goodness. It's a counter-attack. And now get down the middle. Drop it, 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 it
happening people it's Yassine James from Chessie Hour and I'm here to tell you about our recent launch on Patreon it's been a big year branching out the Touchline Frackers network to club specific pods bringing you Chelsea content win loss draw pandemic whatever weekly if you appreciate what we do then become a patron it's the best way you can support allowing us to bring more exclusive content better than ever see what you've got in store and support or show love head over to patreon.com forward slash Chessie Hour patreon.com forward slash Chessie Hour What's happening, people? It's myself, Yassine James. Welcome again to Chessie Hour. Another week, another bit of content. All things SW6, all things Fulham Road, all things Kings Road, all things Stamford Bridge, all things Restart, all things Top 4 running, and I am exhausted. Joe tweets with me uh, this week. What's happening, Joe? You all right? Yeah, same, mate. I'm, uh, I've got post-pandemic football just exhaustion now. I have no idea what's going on at the moment. Mate, so. it's, it, we just discussed it a little <laughs> bit in that. I can't imagine how fatigued some of these players must be in terms of just the, the traffic of it all. Because I'm getting to a point now where, cause it's, do you know what it is? Because it's so tight and because all the games matter and no one's really fit and flying, people are stumbling over lines a little bit and here, there, and you can see some of the performances getting dialed in and, it's just a slog, man. It's proper end of season running slog. Um, games coming thick and fast every three days. People missing their bloody fantasy team deadlines. Me particularly, <laughs> not knowing when the cut off is, not knowing which way is up. Um, yeah, man, it's it's um, it's turning into a bit of a slog. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been as exhausted by a season running in this in a long time. I think Chelsea like to do things the hard way sometimes, but um, yeah, we've got a lot to discuss, especially after tonight's results with Leicester and United's performances that we will touch on. Um, before we get into any of that, just a little check-in with some of the big headlines um, as almost a nice distractor, to be honest, from, from, from this one-point difference between us and the chasing pack. Um, Kai Havertz has had a lot, of, a lot of reports, a lot of headlines coming out in the last week regarding his impending move from Bayer Leverkusen. Um, the agreement across a lot of sort of publications seems to be that it is happening this summer, whether it be an official transfer request or just an agreement post Europa League. Um, another weird sort of situation that everyone's going to be exhausted by by the time that August comes around. Um, and loads of sort of slightly different reports centre around the same things, um, build sort of coming through in terms of um, he is looking to push the move through, Kicker in their print publication sort of hinting that Chelsea is the club he has chosen, BBC with a little wink wink nudge nudge saying hey you know he doesn't need the Champions League this year, he's interested in a, in a project, can't remember where they sourced and then you have Raphael Honigstein kind of doing his best thing to um, put cold water on everything and say, no, 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 nothing's decided, nothing's decided. I don't know if he's been nudged by Bayern or, or someone else to be doing that. So it's, it's conflicting to a point, but it seems to be going in the same direction. What's your sort of take on, on where that's going and, and what the outcome's going to be? Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing that I think, again, you know, going back to the whole fatigue of this, this kind of restart was that I think most people forgot the Europa League was, 
was happening and that Leverkusen were, were still in it. So I think that was maybe a little bit of a, like an unforeseen thing um, in terms of the, the speed of the transfer. But there seems to be, at least in terms of like variety of sources, kind of uh, congregating on an opinion that you know, he is sort of pushing for a move to Chelsea, that that's sort of the project that he's, uh, he's interested in. I've kind of felt for a long time that we're probably one of the only kind of clubs who, who A, can afford him. That sort of uh, 100 million euro fee all in um, seems to be something that we can, we can sort of get to. But also, um, you know, one of the clubs that certainly that he would be interested in, both in terms of, of coming here, like playing straight away. I think he would be a player that you could potentially build around. We've seen some players going to Madrid and some other clubs and just becoming sort of, uh, you know, kind of pieces in a big jigsaw. So I think that that kind of prospect of him coming to the Premier League is appealing, the the, the project of, of what Chelsea are trying to do as well. But I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been quietly confident for a while. I think a lot of the kind of sources are aligning. It's just going to be a question for me now of, of what Chelsea can do in terms of negotiating that fee. I think it's a little bit different to the Werner situation in that, you know, we kind of come very late on the scene there and had to conclude things quickly and move fast. But I think the club here probably feel like they've got a bit of time in terms of negotiating. So, you know, they're probably going to try and make the best of the situation. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's like an 80, 85 million euro free up, uh, fee up front with some bonuses. But, you know, I think people are focusing on the defensive issues we've had. You know, we can't create or score for love nor money in some games. So, you know, Havertz for me is a big, big uh, plus in that respect. So, yeah, I think quietly confident is where I'm with that, Yes, But, you know, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not done until it's done. But I don't think it'll be done at the speed that most Chelsea fans will, uh, will want. Yeah, and I think we, um, although we have had obvious attention-grabbing um, transfers where we seem to have just pissed money away for fun, we can be quite shrewd <laughs> and we, we, people do speak highly about our kind of negotiation procedures. And I think we're not going to rush into um, a situation where we pay the initial fee straight away when yeah, exactly, yeah. the two biggest rivals have publicly sort of ruled themselves out. Um, yeah, I mean, I've spoken privately to you guys like, for someone who's negative about so many transfers, I don't want to let myself, but I am quietly, again, confident of this. Even in the initial kind of mentions, it seemed to fit. And then once Bayern ruled themselves out, it's like, okay. Um, and then even the, the build report, it was another sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They're willing to take a very structured fee of a lot of instalments and um, things that are realistic to hit. And you, you, you'd assume that would help negotiations along a little bit. Um, but you know me, Joe. I'm uh, I'm not I'm not putting him in my my fantasy plans just yet. I'm not putting him in my hypothetical elevens just yet. I'm um, a natural skeptic on the podcast. My natural skepticism is is running through just because yeah. i have just you see so many. Of these, uh, we've seen it. We've seen it happen so many times. Though. So many times. So I'm I'm interested, but I haven't seen such um widespread and detailed. Uh, reports so it, obviously yeah. fire, but the fact that everyone has their own kind of slant and those slants are with detail and it's very specific about the project there being a little um, impetus to join Werner as a, as a German teammate um, age profile kind of fitting um, liking the idea of working with Lampard being a big Premier League fan wanting to particularly move this summer as opposed to next summer and um, I think there was a quote where he's dead, dead set on it being this summer and he yeah. feels the right time for it. So all of that stuff sort of all in, um, it is, uh, is quietly confident. But like you said, we just don't know. Um, I'm going to ask you one about this and then one about another. Um, degrees Celsius, what's your, what's your transfer temperature on, on this one in terms of your likelihood 
to get this done. If if we're talking ice cold is just nothing, and then and then a guaranteed impending move is is boiling hot. Where where are you on this? I think at the moment I'm probably 70, 75 degrees. Um, Celsius? Yeah, towards boiling. Okay, wow. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so I think and the reason I'm saying that is it, it seems to me that it's really going to be the structure of a fee that Chelsea can pay. I don't think the gap between sort of some of the bids that, that have kind of floated around that Chelsea may or may not have made 70 million euros, whatever, the gap between that and say someone like Jaden Sancho when that was like a 120 and then bonuses and then everything on top, you know, Chelsea's kind of initial bid is like 50 million euros off that. I think from what, what Leverkusen want, um, I think that we're, we're quite close in terms of the overall fee. As I said, I think it's, it's going to come down to the, to the structure of the deal. I think Leverkusen will want to play ball. You know, if he waits another year, it's another year, you know, kind of off on his contract. If he has a down season, you know, again, the, the valuation drops. If he, uh, you know, just by the nature of having a year less on his contract, that the value drops as well. And then the likelihood of again selling him to Bayern Munich, who, you know, have a propensity to just hoover up every single top German player, which is a little bit why they have such a monopoly in Germany. But I think that the, there well, will I'm be... Glad it's almost, if, if all the reports are to be believed, it's almost a reason counting against them with, with Havertz. I saw one quote where, he, I don't know how accurate it is, obviously, but it's been attributed to a source that he almost finds that idea kind of boring um, of just going yeah. flying and dominating a league that he's already played well in. So I find, I find that quite interesting and speaks to being quite a um, ambitious player in terms of their own challenges and their own development. I find, mm. that, I find that interesting. Um, I, think, I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's very possible. Um, and not just uh, he maybe having a down year next year, but we, he's almost had like a, a World Cup premium put on him recently. And yeah, true. Having such goal-scoring form after the restart and being played as a makeshift kind of nine when Volland's been out and and, it, and Bailey's not been playing and stuff and injuries and that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is perfect time to sell. So I think, I think yeah, even for me, man, even for me, I'm looking. <laughs> That's big. Even for me, I'm looking. 27 without cloud, put a bit of factor three, factor 30 on for my Irish skin. Like it's uh, even me, man, even me. I'm going to move on to one where maybe we're not as um, clear cut on it. It's very recent, but I know it's very divisive as well, just because you see ones like this often and you just think, but there seems to be little clues that there's something more yeah. to it. Is, um, is Oblak, uh, Atletico Madrid's, Keeper, Slovenia keeper, everyone's sort of de facto number one in the world when you are pushed to make a choice. is just kind of the popular one, like without it being necessarily true. Um, and when it first dropped, I just thought, all right, yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I've seen this one a few times, uh, whatever, whether it be a massive centre back or right back or centre mid, whatever, it's whatever. But there seems to be a little bit of. Um, a little bit of annoyance coming out of Atletico very publicly <laughs> and, very, and very quickly. That's the other thing I found interesting is that usually a link will come um, and you'll ask someone at the club and you'll either get nothing or you'll get just a kind of a dismissal or a laughed off. But Simeone like proper gave it legs almost himself by just by giving it so much um, weight in the answer. I, paraphrasing but it was basically just like no we compete in Champions League every season we're very confident in keeping our players which I, I know I joke but that's, that's that's what I say on on Football Manager when I know that I'm I'm a lower league club and someone's going to leave is it, 
I think he's just um, the fact that he gave it so much weight to even address it. Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thing's just completely gone. Whatever. I, I'm sure, I'm sure Dan can edit. Um, <laughs> the fact that he even gave it so much weight to even address it, um, and then I'm not, I'm not well versed in Atletico sort of staff or coaching staff, but I think it's been attributed to an assistant coach or something about the Russian. Yeah. <laughs> um, the impending doom of the Russian wanting a player, um, which obviously has been interpreted to, to be addressing Abramovich's interest. So I just found that very interesting that there maybe is more legs than we maybe initially thought. Um, Possibly, yeah, I think so. Um, Age wise, it's not really what we do. Even signing wise, it's not really the MO. But I mean, the taste has clearly changed a little bit with Lampard in terms of the ZX signing, in terms of Werner and others and mm. stuff. It's a different taste than what we've been used to the last few years. What are your thoughts on the Oblak links? I think uh, similar to you, I think first of all, there was a lot of um, like, yeah, you know, we've seen this before, very high profile player links, you know, links to Chelsea to get a new contract. But I think the Simeone press, the, the kind of press conference or whatever, the, the, that statement that got released. And then as you say, the assistant coach stuff, kind of gave it a little bit more kind of uh, yeah credence really to what they were saying and you know I did a bit of digging into Atletico Madrid's finance you know I'm on gardening leave at the moment effectively so I've got, I've got a bit of spare time during the day um, and you know they have probably payments of around 25 million pound a season for the next eight years on, on the new stadium um, that's not calculating interest or anything so like a minimum there they owe Chelsea 58 million pounds this summer that they have to pay for Alvaro Morata um, and, you know, given sort of the, the situation in the league at the moment, not a lot of clubs are, have, got, have got a lot of cash floating about. You've seen, you know, Barcelona trying to package like 300 players to Inter Milan to get Latero and Martinez, for example. So that there's not a huge amount of money floating around there. So there's a few factors, at least financially. If you're looking at, I think he's got 120 million euro buyout clause. You know, that minus, you know, if Chelsea were off the Morata fee, um, you know, I think the sticking point would be that they would still have Kepa here. So if they tried to offload Kepa like 20 million quid or something like that um, in the deal, then they, they don't have to find an enormous amount of money for Oblak. I mean, it's a little bit football manager in that you're doing this kind of weird, crazy and 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 and, and kind of deal. But, mm. you know, I think given the circumstances they're in, given the fact that they actually owe us an enormous amount of money for a player, that there's probably some conversations to be had there. That 58 million is something I'm not sure that they necessarily have at this point in time. So it's going to yeah, be Yeah, and I think you made, a, you made a really good point there about Barcelona trying to package and this, that and the other and Real Madrid ruling themselves out for Havertz this yeah. summer. Yeah, yeah. If, and I think that's something that's it's worth pointing out for listeners who maybe aren't as, um, as I don't know, clued up on, on financial things. Premier League's a very, very sort of democratic league in that first gets first, second gets second, third gets third. Um and even, I think, is a stat where if you finish 20th in the Premier League, you make more than 4th or 5th in La Liga. Just because yeah. of how disproportionate the finances are to Barca and Real. They have all this power with the TV money. So if they are not even willing to be splashing, it always gives you a little clue as to even a club of Atletico's prestige over the last few years, how they're doing financially. So if Real Madrid are ruling themselves out for players and Barcelona are saying, well, we manage, we get Arthur going, everything like that... Yeah, I think there's a lot to maybe think about there for Atletico and the stadium, like you said, um, it's something looking at with Tottenham and, and other yeah, clubs. It's, it's the, the worst one, yeah. time ever to have relied so much on football and, and cash flow coming in from stadiums. He's 27, Oblak. So, um, 
if they're going to get a massive offer for him, it's probably going to be now as opposed to in a year and a half, two years when he's entering 30. And okay, keep a, keep a longevity there, but still. Um, it's definitely one to keep an eye on, I think. If you were yeah. to degree yourself off, I know, you're, I know you're not going to be boiling point on this one, but <laughs> if you were to put yourself on a bit of a spectrum for all black, where are you standing? Probably, probably light jacket weather, maybe 10, 12 degrees on this one. Um, I think, I mean, you know, you, you, can, you can make a, an argument for it, you know, that they owe money, that they owe this, that, the other, but it still seems to be a, an enormous fee. I know we've spoken privately about paying, you know, over nearly £200 million for, for two goalkeepers. Um, plus, I think that the big kind of elephant in the room would be that you would still have, potentially have Kepa on the books here. Mm. And even though Atletico and Simeone are probably one of the best defensive sides of the past few years, I'm not sure even if they could really cover up for uh, for Kepa. But uh, well, I mean, this, this is the thing, isn't it? It's the argument about suitability, maybe, and yeah. about Kepa potentially just sort of going back to Spain might be a good move for him personally. It might be a good move for him in terms of reacclimatizing to a style that he's used to and maybe more suited to. And it's and I think if you if you're looking at squad building. Um, Okay, Kepa's had a really bad year and not a perfect year before that but you are getting in a keeper who not long ago was rated solidly enough in Spain only months ago was Spain's number one yeah um and you're you're you could they could be getting him in as a just a replacement and it I I just wouldn't underestimate yeah the value of getting a body in in replacement for less wages without having to worry about a fee without this sort of stuff so I, I don't know it's an interesting one other question, and this is the one where people might be surprised we're even asking. Let's say it was to happen and it had legs. Do you, is he the best fit? And I know, I know, yes, fantastic. Liverpool, recent evidence of him being unbelievable, can win you a game, this, that and the other. I have a personal little hesitance of investing in players that are already the best. Because I always feel like when you sign a player, you're not signing that player now, you're either signing the player from last year or the player that they could be. Mm. Considering all the factors of moving and acclimatising and, and everything like that, it's, Higuain's is always my favourite example. When he broke the Serie A scoring record and Juve shout out all this money for him, it's like, well, you're, you're signing the player on what he did a year ago now. And the value is attributed to that. And peaks happen. Like you don't know when that is. Um, so I'm not for a second saying he wouldn't be a major upgrade, obviously. I'm not for a second saying he wouldn't, couldn't possibly be the best keeper in the Premier League. But I'm just... You've been burned before on a key part of that fee um, and investing so much resource into one position that you can't just move around like a centre midfielder or a winger or whatever. Um, I'm just, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think the the point you make about buying a, a player based on you know kind of a version that you've kind of created over over the past season. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom, and Casper's Black Friday sale has up to thirty percent off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with eighty six supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to thirty percent during Casper's. Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. Two seasons is always interesting, and particularly if you're buying someone who's the best, they only really have one way to go. You know, it's 
it's down or kind of stayed the same. And if you think sort of over the past 10, 15, 20 years, there have been a handful of players that have been the best in their position in the world for more than more than consecutive seasons. Um, and, and those players you don't really tend to be able to buy. I think goalkeepers, for me, are kind of, they're, they're obviously they're very, very kind of critical pieces in the overall puzzle. But I think that you can certainly find players who are in the kind of 30, maybe 40 million pound bracket. And then if you want to go and spend 70 plus million on a centre-back, you know, you're looking at resource allocation, sort of how we're trying to sort of formulate the squad. That for me would be a, a far better use of that kind of money than to, to go and get a goalkeeper who, yeah, you know, I think the, the perception of him is that he's the best in the world. I think we've looked a little bit into the analytics, um, you know, some, some good threads on, on social media over the past couple of days. Chicago Dimitri um, did a, a pretty decent one on, on some analytics around goalies. Um, and to me, the name that always keeps popping up on the guy that I went and did some, did some you know, kind of watching on was, was Radjkovic uh, in, in France. To me, seems to be a guy you can get for 25% of what you pay for Oblak and then go and use that money to go and get, go and get yourself a top centre-half or at least a, a centre-half who is young with, with a really, really kind of uh, decent potential to become a number one. So I would probably be looking at if I was Chelsea to be doing that, but I can see the appeal for, for Oblak because it, it's a very obvious solution to an obvious problem. And in some cases, it's, you know, if you can do it and it's, it's a move that can be made for, I don't know, let's say you know, that they get Morata and Kepa, so Chelsea kind of get rid of those two sort of stones um, and, and end up paying like 30 million cash for, for Old Black. I, I could see them sort of entertaining it, but it wouldn't be how I'd, I'd approach it, certainly. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's an interesting one, especially when, when you think how much of a squad rebuild we, we do have on our hands. Again, yeah. just sort of the goldmine that is Twitter and people who are out there and far smarter than me and far better resource than me and make fantastic points that um, I nick and make myself sound clever with at dinner parties <laughs> and pubs um yeah it's i saw a really good one recently in terms of when you see the fans and, and everything talk about restructuring chelsea is well Werner's coming in to either replace um tammy up top or someone on the left zx come in certified starter at the right let's say we are to get Havertz. you're looking at potentially a nine potentially an eight potentially a ten potentially he's even played as a six what i thought we're going to be looking at him there um left back seems like it will happen eventually center back is always mentioned um Jorginho potentially on the move uh gilmore won't be starting next season um in any fit state to play so you'd assume there's going to be a midfield reinforcement in there so already we're looking at a massive overhaul, but yeah. I saw a really good point um, looking at sort of squad building around, amongst our direct rivals in terms of City and Liverpool, um, that you, you kind of max out at four a year that are really going to immediately contribute um, and, and build. And I think that is something that I think we'll explore in a proper podcast of its own on the Patreon in terms of this squad rebuild. But Lampard has this three-year plan that's sort of been leaked out and it's clearly a long-term vision. So I am conscious that while there's an appetite to replace everybody, um, <laughs> but yeah, there Ooh, is. FM strip and rebuild. There is, but then you've got to be realistic about it. It's like if, exactly, yeah. if we can't find a buyer for Kepa this year, then none of this is happening. There are no chances it's happening. Um, and yeah, and so there's, it's not just the incomings, it's the outgoings as well. So I think it's very much circumstantial if it is to happen. And I think where you could save a little bit is going for a Radzkovic or an Anana who's going for a pittance compared to what a lot of people are going for, someone who's Champions League experience and 
he's got his issues as a keeper, but he's, he's been dependable in the top Premier competition in Europe. Um, yeah, it does allow for a bit more flexibility in what else you can do. In saying that, and this is something I'm going to sort of segue into the Norwich game um, with Old Black. I know Sheffield United's been covered um, <laughs> on, on the pod previously, and we don't need to dig that nonsense up again. But Lampard's, uh, <laughs> Lampard's uh, point about volume and communication on the pitch and stuff, it, it was an easy one to take the mick out of because it, I think in the moment he said he was annoyed he didn't say the perfect word. But you can see what he means when you have a conversation as simple as, oh, who'd be the next captain? Um, You and me even had a laugh about your aggressive shout on Ruben Loftus cheek being captain (laughs) in a year, which I thought was a nonsense. Like I was like, what are you on about? Um, But then you actually work through the team. And you think to yourself, okay, well, there's Aspilicueta now, but if 18 months into the future he's still a certified starter, you'd, you'd, you'd raise an eyebrow maybe. Mm. And there's Jorginho, vice-captain, who is a fantastic leader around the group and Lampard constantly talks about him setting standards in training and, and being vocal on the pitch, but he's looking likely to leave and doesn't necessarily fit in where the team wants to go. Um, then next in line is probably Rudiger, who, based on this season's performances, um, hasn't covered himself in glory for a lot of the year, especially late in the running. So you do sort of wonder about his certainty to start. In fact, I'd say he'd probably been starting because of those leadership quality and communication. Mm, yeah. And then once you get past those three, it starts really, really getting thin. You, you kind of veer between players who aren't, used to that sort of responsibility who have always been bit pieces at clubs like a Kovacic or um, Giroud, who, who I don't need to tell on this pod how much I love that man, but um, <laughs> as you well know, but again, like a, he's probably not here long-term. Um, yeah. And then you've got other centre-backs like Zuma who's been offered out. Um, then you've got Christensen, Tamori, um, Reese James, who are either too young or too peripheral or not quite used to that. It gets to the point where Ruben is almost in the top five. And I think you look the aggressive at shout's coming true. the aggressive shout is looking <laughs> less and less ridiculous by the day. Um, and that's, it's more a, a condemnation of the squad building than a compliment of your shout. I do have to say, I do want to call that I, I have the, uh, the gift of foresight. I am the oracle. Gift of foresight. There we go. But then you look at, again, Willian leaving, Pedro leaving, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Zuma yeah. potentially leaving, Jorginho potentially leaving. That's a lot of seniority to lose. And I do feel like, sort of heading back to the Oblak thing and then segueing into this chat about leadership, is you look at the players we're linked with now and it's okay. Ziyech has sort of burdened a lot of creative output and responsibility for Ajax, really taking the mantle of being their, their talisman over the last few years. Brilliant. Um, Declan Rice sort of linked here and there. Um, I think it's a very good point. Uh, made by Meads actually when we were chatting previously about being a, a leader at Chelsea is very different to being a leader at West Ham but to be vice captain at 21 at a club is is something and shouldn't be ignored um, but then the odd black signing sort of seems to make a bit more sense you're looking at someone 27 28 experienced in Champions League key key games knockout games finals um, that leadership sort of sort of comes in there how much do you think that is a concern. And how much do you think that needs to be sorted? And will it be? I mean, I, again, I don't yeah. think, I think we lost to Sheffield United partly because of the setup. 
if I'm honest, hugely because of the setup. But it is a problem that I think is on the horizon in terms of leadership and and um, senior people to just sort of guide the way. Not so much right right now, but in three months, a lot of those people could be gone. So what's your thoughts on, on that in terms of profiling targets, but also how much of an issue it really is for us? I think that there's something that we've we've certainly lacked since the kind of departure of uh, Terry and Lampard and those guys like like a long long time ago now, and we've never really quite replaced it. Is that they, you know, you can rely on the sort of manager for setup and training and structure and all this sort of stuff, but you have to have I think kind of vocal problem solvers on the pitch. You know, if things aren't going right. You have to have somebody who has both the the respect, the knowledge, the ability to sort of step in. Um, and actually be vocal about what what needs to happen, what needs to change. You know, when you've conceded a goal or something stupid, you know, I often kind of remember just thinking back, seeing four, five, six players in those sorts of teams that we kind of grew up watching, rallying people around, being vocal, sort of getting everyone going. And I think that the thing that you, that I probably haven't appreciated until you know, kind of seeing where this team is is kind of transitioned from having a lot of kind of very very obvious leaders to really, you know, I mean, probably just as Pilacreta at some points this season. It's just how kind of disjointed and, and a little bit sort of, uh, I don't want to say like heads down, but how kind of, I, I think they can get a little bit sort of, um, yeah, I suppose disjointed is probably the best word from kind of each other and, and how they're sort of the chemistry is in the team. So, you know, I, for me, it's been no surprise that Rudiger has often played a lot because I think despite me having huge reservations about his ability, you know, he's a very, very vocal player, very kind of aggressive in terms of, you know, his, his instructions and communication, you know, whether he's saying the right stuff or not is, it's kind of a little bit moot at this point, but I think that's sort of one of the reasons why he plays. Um, I think it's also kind of similar to to the benefit you get from Giroud as well. I think Giroud is kind of more of kind of a focal point, more of a leader in terms of, of kind of knitting the attack together. But I think it's hugely important and I don't think really looking forward, you know, it's all well and good having a lot of young players and a lot of young talented players, but you still need someone to to kind of have them rally around them or to be able to kind of make decisions and drive people on and, and have that kind of impact on the pitch. And I think it's a little bit why, you know, sort of some of these Declan Rice kind of links have, have formulated because that certainly is, I know, again, I, I take the point that it's at West Ham, but I think you can see that he's very visibly like a leader. Um, he has kind of a leadership role within that team. And I think he has that ability to, to kind of drive people on and get people kind of refocused. And I think we, we kind of miss that. Certainly when we go kind of goals down against teams that, maybe we shouldn't do. There doesn't seem to be much drive or bounce back from the team. And I think a lot of that, yeah, you know, you can look at the managers and people on the sideline. But for me, that, that as, as someone who's played, you know, that, that has to come from the players as well. I don't see that at all, Yaz. I think, um, yeah, that's, that's one side of it. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the vocals. But while you're talking there and you mentioned people like Giroud, while Giroud might not be, let's say he's not the most vocal and everything like that, I think leadership is... is is outward and inward, right? So there's the vocal thing, which I think Lampard, after a game, and I've been there, coach as a player, as a fan, as everything. When a game finishes, um, you you kind of not lose your head, not lose focus, but you, you revert to focusing on the most obvious thing. And I yeah. think the most obvious aspect of leadership is that vocals, is that... Um, getting everybody up and sort of keeping chins up and everything like that. And I think that's the most obvious. I think that's why that kind of drew the most attention from Lampard. But I think the leadership we've seen from people like Giroud, especially in this restart, is for accountability, really 
just the resilience to do the same things again and again. Um, Watford, for example, just I loved. Just, I just for me, I think having an experienced striker is an incredible thing because yeah. they have so much belief in their own repetitions and ability and and responsibility, and they acknowledge that. Is Watford, for example, he took that sort of left foot finish twice before he actually scored the third one, and there was no hesitation every single time, and it was just again and again and again. Norwich. He had, like, and we'll get into the, the game as a whole in a minute, but I, I think he had a shocker before the goal. I, yeah. think, um, I think the numbers sort of backed it up, but he was far looser with his touches than he usually is. Um, there was two chances, there's that sort of volley that didn't quite come down, but you expect him to do quite well with that. There was one, it's on his right foot, and he's a very left-footed player, but at the same time, that little cutback, you'd, you'd expect someone of his experience just to get at least a cleaner strike. He, he had a poor start, um, and I think that's for someone who never plays over 75 minutes, that might be just the, the game's catching up on him. But the fact that he then went in, ball came in, great cross crew Pulisic, and he showed that accountability, that responsibility, that ownership to be like, boom, OK, my moment, let me take it. And I think that's where we'll really, really lack unless players make a massive leap. And I think that's where, to be fair to Rice... Um, as much as I am never backing the brother because of what he's done on the international stage, the absolute <laughs> scandal and nerve of him to manipulate the new rules of FIFA. Yes, he might, he might be a listener, so we've got, we've got to go. To Listen, it. it's not a podcast. He's a very good player, but I would much <laughs> rather he be wearing green than white in uh, international appearances. Declan, if you're listening, mate, like, it's nothing personal, but it sort of is. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think he's, he's, he's a good player in terms of his ability, very good ball striker, but it's not like what he's really grown into as this sort of leader at West Ham is he is at the centre of everything and he doesn't shy away from the ball. He doesn't shy away from tough tackles, tough decisions. I think players like Mason Mount and even Ross Barkley, they want to get on the ball and make things happen a lot. Um, but I think that's what we really even if it gets more vocal, I think that's where we're really going to lack in terms of characters around the club, characters who can make things happen on the pitch. You mentioned our old sort of spine of, of the leaders we did have. It's not just the, the chest stumping and this, that and yeah. the other. If you hear about the stories for the Champions League final, it's, um, it's things like David Luiz telling Schweinsteiger, he's going to score now about Didier because he, he believed it. He was like, he's mm. going to score because it's Drogba in this moment and it's what he does. Um, and that's, I don't know how, what the quick fix is for that, really. Um, and that's why I think these sort of, these odd black links have come and Ziyech, just players who are used to that responsibility. So I think it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on um, moving forward anyway, in terms of, in terms of targets. targets. Right, moving on to Norwich, um, because that's quite enough optimism for one week. Uh, <laughs> I, back down to earth, the reality check. Back down to earth. Right, I mean, firstly, let's just, before we get into the happenings of tonight, Leicester typically made a team who gave us a battering the other day look very, very ordinary uh, this evening, which I think anyone who kind of is used to players scoring worldies, players breaking droughts and... Um, Teams just having an outstanding day against us following Chelsea is very, very used to. I mean, it's a compliment that we seem to be so many teams cut finals, but I would much rather people roll over like against United. <laughs> That's for another day. Um, whether it be Norwich deciding to defend for the first time in July, uh, you know, with <laughs> 10 men behind the ball when they come to Stamford Bridge and are already gone. Cheers, Daniel. Nice one. Um, yeah, I'm done with it. But 
that's what happened. And that's what we are sort of getting used to. And that's where we are limping towards these things. And Sheffield United, after incredible performance against us, just kind of got undone by Leicester and, and didn't seem to be at it at all. Crystal Palace again. Crystal Palace didn't play badly tonight. Um, they, uh, they gave United a few problems in, in the first half. Robbed again. VAR, penalty yep. decisions, Manchester United's best friend. We don't need to relay any of that because it should be common knowledge by now. But 13 Premier Leagues given in the... 13 penalties given in the Premier League. Uh, seven goals conceded overturned by VAR in the Premier League. They have their help. Let's not get into it. I know they're listening. They all listen. They've really made it personal this year, the United lot. Let me not. <laughs> prefer not to speak. Anyway, um, I'll, we'll see them Sunday. We'll chat about that. But anyway, um, yeah, Norwich... It, it was a tough one. It was another team that did sort of seem better prepped against us than, than maybe usual. Coincidence, yeah. I don't know. Um, but we didn't look great, Joe. Oh, no. This was, um, this, this was a tough watch. And to be fair, I normally, I normally try and watch like at least like an extended highlights of the game again. So like that 60-minute version. And I had to turn it off after like 10, 15 minutes. It just wasn't wasn't remotely enjoyable and it's it's same you know you could copy and paste this sort of performance we've had through the season against these sort of overly kind of ultra defensive teams there is such a lack of invention and conviction and real kind of I don't know whether it's potentially coaching patterns or or any kind of sort of structure when we get into the final third and okay you know I mean to be fair you know, looking at sort of the XG after the game, I mean, it didn't, to me, feel like a game that we should have won 3 0. I know we had some good chances, but, you know, that I, did, I wasn't really getting that feeling that we were sort of completely dominant in the game. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of slow, methodical, kind of really, really, really kind of boring tempo through midfield. Um, forwards just really weren't getting in the game at all. And then it, you know, it kind of just took, as you say, that kind of one little moment from, from Christian Pulisic to, to Giroud to kind of get the opening. But then after then, it kind of sort of reverted to, to type again. I think Norwich had a little spell sort of second half where they kind of looked a bit threatening. But, you know, at 1-0, I'm never confident, um, certainly with, with the way that we've conceded goals and the manner we've conceded them and, you know, sort of having that, that one opportunity that someone has tends to be a goal against us. So I was quite nervy towards the end of the, end of the game so much that I was sort of just avoiding the TV the last kind of five minutes or so, just doing some... Uh, some pottering about, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it for me could be any game we've seen where we've struggled against teams like this this season. And, you know, for all of the people that will talk about the need to go and spend loads on defenders, for me, again, this is another kind of, you know, um, sort of reference point for why it is that we're trying to go out and strengthen some of the attacking positions because, uh, you know, we, we can't kind of go into next season having the same problems because it's such an easy blueprint for teams to come to Stamford Bridge Put, put 10 men behind the ball and then just try and play for a draw or try and nick a goal. Mm. And I think, I think this is the thing in terms of football and we're conceding so we need a defender, we're not scoring so we need a striker and, <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's difficult. It's, it's such a global game and I think there's no, in terms of its sort of interactions, I think there's no sport quite like it where so much depends on so much else. Um, yeah. Like people always cite the Van Dyke and the Allison signings as transforming Liverpool. Yes, I agree to a point, but at the same time, Klopp's sort of addressed the systemic issues as well. Um, at the same time as that, now I like the thing with the oh, let's sign a centre back. Let's forget the Havertz thing. I listen. I'd love a centre back to be our our one, our one plus one other. Great, but I feel like goals change games, and momentum is so yeah. powerful in that. 
bounce forward with Comcast Business. Help your business bounce forward today with this amazing offer. For a limited time, ask how to get a $500 prepaid card. Call 1-800-501-6000 or go online today to learn more. Comcast Business. Restrictions apply. New Comcast Business customers only. Call for restrictions and complete details. If we put teams away in the first place, then it just changes everything. It changes the mentality of the opposition. Is like as soon as we conceded one against Sheffield United, it was done. It was done, right? And it was. It felt like that against Norwich as well. That if we didn't get it before the, the goal before the first half was done, you did sort of think, oh god, any counter that is going to come. That's the thing. Yeah, we we have these periods of momentum in games. I mean, I'm even going back to the first game of the season against United. That first 20 minutes, we could have been one or two up, and then that's a completely different game. Which is it, and so that's how that's how far back the yeah. the problem has gone. And I think um. I think it's an interesting one, but it's something we're going to cover again on a on a podcast on the on the Patreon in terms of sort of a statistical overview, quite in depth of the whole season. But what do you put down to the fact that we seem to do well on a lot of metrics in terms of our XG is good, our XGA is good, but I'm a bit I'm I'm curious about that one in terms of the real quality of chances and stuff like that, but our, our passes into the final third, up there. Our progressive play, up there. Our carries, up there. Um, our shot-creating actions, up there. Our shots, up there. Where our shots are being taken from, up there. Um, even crosses, like, it's a bit crossing in a lot of times, but our cross accuracy is actually better than City and Liverpool's, believe it or not. So we seem to be top three on a lot of metrics. Um, Taking away what happens in either box in terms of Kepa or big chances missed or whatever, it doesn't really fit the eye test. Like, what right. is it that we seem to be doing well on the metrics but isn't there in terms of creation and really pulling teams apart and, and looking threatening? Because when you watch a team like United, it pains me to say, but you do feel like Martial at the moment can burst past any defender in the box as he did against Palace for the second today. You do feel yeah. like... I think Fernandez might come back down to earth, but Pogba can just put put a pass forty yards off his no backlift, and and they're in uh, City. You don't need to talk about, and then Liverpool obviously have matches as well. We don't feel that threatening. I feel like we play the passes we're allowed to, um, but we still seem to do well on all these metrics that people swear swear by. Would you put that kind of incongruence down to personally? Yeah, that's uh, that. That is the the ultimate dichotomy when it comes to to watching Chelsea. Is uh, I've often kind of spoke that I think sometimes having this kind of maybe overt sort of Italian style structure, Conte, Sari, this sort of you know prescribed actions before you receive the ball, is maybe a little bit overkill. But I think Lampard has gone sort of completely the other way in that. Oftentimes, when I watch us, I just feel that like it's kind of the players sort of entirely making decisions to to sort of try and pick apart a, a defence. And as you say, you know, very rarely do we have a player, I think certainly when we play you know, midfield three, wide players, whatever it's going to be, whatever that composition of, of players is going to be, we don't often have players that, that are willing to to play those risky passes. And for all the kind of strangest I get when I watch someone like Fernandez, who seems to try and play a Hollywood pass every single time he touches the ball, you know, the, the fact that he's willing to, to play those passes and, and, you know, some of them, quite a few of them are coming off him at the moment, I think is a little bit kind of um, sort of where we kind of differ. Um, 
you know, Kovacic, Mount, Jorginho, Kante, the sort of four guys who've kind of rotated in that midfield this season. For me, that they they're, they're kind of the guys that I wouldn't say that they want to take the easy pass, but where they're you know where people are potentially giving a space wide for for fullbacks to advance and to cross in, they're more comfortable playing that that pass to Aspilicueta or to Alonso or whoever it's going to be. They may be trying to find the the sort of the inside forwards or the wingers in the pockets or trying to fizz one into Giroud and, and then trying to sort of go for the for the, for the wall pass off of him. Um, it's not too often this season that I've really seen us try and play, I'm not even going to call them high-risk passes, I'm just going to say slightly riskier pass in terms of punching the ball in there. So I think that there's a little bit for me that we do lack a bit of, a, of structure, a little bit of, of kind of pre, presupposed kind of play or set possessions or set passing moves, whatever you want to call it, in the final third. It, to me, seems a little bit too off the cuff. And while that, that may work if you've got Neymar and Messi and you know, kind of all these other sorts of players, I think that the players we have at the moment... We do lack a little bit of structure and, you know, you could look at as well, certainly when it comes to the metrics, that maybe we don't quite have the finishing quality. You know, we don't have someone like Mason Greenwood, who to me looks like he's just going to, you know, outperform his XG for his entire career if he keeps going on the same trajectory. We have players who seem to be very kind of below XG or they're kind of sort of underperforming in terms of, of those sorts of metrics. So it could be a combination that we just don't have the, the level of finishers for the chances we create. But I, I still think that there's a very, very big issue in terms of the system that you have in place being far too reliant on on sort of individual kind of decision making rather than mm. having some sort of set structure there. I think I think if you were to ask someone how do Chelsea attack, you wouldn't get Chaos. A, <laughs> yeah, mate. You wouldn't get a crystal clear answer. And I think I think as well, maybe it's become very comfortable for teams to allow us to go wide because yeah. the quality is either Piliqueta coming in on his, on his unfavoured foot, as good as he's been since the restart. Reese James not quite finding his feet yet. Alonso not really frightening anybody. Um, and I think that's an easy one um, for teams to allow us. Maybe that's boosting our numbers in terms of playing forward a little bit. And it, even um, Mount's pass against Watford, for example, through to Barkley, nice little turn and finish. People were going on about that. It was fantastic. But it made you realise how lacking it's been. Yeah, so I see it enough. You don't see it enough and you sort of think, wow, that's only getting that attention because of how, how rare it is. Um, do you, do you, yes, do you think that teams are comfy, us just playing in front of them? And I think back to when we used to play Barcelona and we were very comfortable with, you know, the two banks of four and then playing side to side. I'm not saying that teams are respected in that manner, but they seem very, they're very kind of content and happy for Chelsea just to sort of sit in front and just, you know, ask the question, can you break us down? Yeah, I think it's a difficult one in terms of you're very comfy with some of our players having the ball at the distance yeah. they do, right? And I'm not trying to say everyone should be a shooter and everyone this, but there needs to be an element of dynamism or skill set that every player has, which at least makes a defender think, right? So I think... It's fantastic having Ziyech and Werner come in now and Ziyech from distance, if you give him five yards, he's going to threaten at the very least. And Werner's not bad from distance either and his little blindside runs are very good. It gives you a lot. You have to think about what's in front and what's behind. Obviously, if people just camp, camp, camp and they don't give you anything behind, well, then it's just up to you to sort of take the onus on, make things happen, win some set pieces. Our best distance shooter at the moment is Barkley, who... I think his decision of when to do that lacks um, because technically it's not an issue. Technically, his shooting is yeah, fantastic for yeah. everything, but just picking the moments when to do it. I think he's at thirty percent for shots on target out of all of his, and he's and he's way up there for who actually takes them. 
apart from him, that's the only person really who is any kind of threat in terms of distance shooting. Kovacic and Jorginho, I think you're very happy for that. I think they're great against teams that are open, especially Kovacic because he can just take the ball 20 yards, no problem, slip someone in. Mm. Um, but I think you're very content if you have Kante, Kovacic and Jorginho in front of you Yeah, that they're not going to particularly threaten in terms of drawing you out of a dribble. They're not long-distance shooters. There's no goals in them whatsoever. There's not really any of those midfielders who are great at running in and being an extra body in the box. That's a problem I've found as well is people get onto Tammy Abraham a lot. Um, and I think like the Tammy to Giroud comparison is, I just find it a bit mad. Obviously, you start Giroud every day of the week, but he's also 12 years older than Tammy and has been doing that role 12 years more and has that extra experience and everything and that bit of savvy. But when you actually watch the crosses come in for Tammy, it's like, um, he's crowded every time. It's him versus three or four. And that's not always against back three. So it's a sort of thing of, there was one recently where I think Tammy's timing has been a little bit off and rhythm been off since the start, uh, the restart. But there was one cross that went in and he went near post for it. um, And at first glance, you kind of wish that he'd gambled. But, if I go near post, that's either I'm going to get it or I'm taking someone away. So if I am then taking someone away, that's only as effective as everybody else in the box. And apart from Pulisic, who's shown a little bit of a nose to get in far post, there's no one from central areas that I really see dropping out at the D on a De Bruyne thing or Fernandez or even getting beyond um, being a presence in the box. Barkley's finish against Leicester is the first real time in the last few months I can remember a midfield player getting into the box and offering something else so I think it's it's a weird mix of of midfielders we've got where there's not really anyone who's great around the box there's not really anyone who's a distant shooter we have some good dribblers but not maybe masters at it um and so then it's kind of like well where's your threat from so I think it's it's we're an easy team to set up against just Mm. because of that quality not be in there and it's great saying that we have the signings to do it next year and I think we do but I don't know how we're gonna magically sort of change how we attack now because we have these two games and that leads us nicely into the running is is we looked really good for example last game of the restart against Everton because we were defending 15-20 yards deeper than we usually did and we were just able to take that space and just bam and all of a sudden people are worried about what's in behind. Man City probably are most clear-cut chances we've made in ages because we were fortunate enough to be against the team that gave us that space behind. So I'm not sure, to be honest, mate, and I don't know how we set up to make that happen um, in these last two games. So that kind of takes me on to this this running. Um, it's not looking as good as it could have at the end of tonight. I think Leicester and United both getting wins that really could have gone the other way considering Sheffield United when they're good, considering the decisions that went for United today. Um, it's a bit disheartening. But at least it's in our own hands and, and we're still not relying on others to drop points. But how do you how do you see this running? Leicester have Spurs away uh, this coming Sunday at four before our FA Cup game. Um, United have West Ham at home the following Wednesday. Leicester then have Liverpool away. Um, sorry, we then have Liverpool away um, 
and that's the sort of first round of next fixtures. Where do you kind of see things standing in that? Because it's one thing to say, ah, oh, beat Wolves and, and Leicester United could play for a draw on the last day, but I think it all depends on what happens in the next round. So where do you kind of see those fixtures? For us in particularly, how do you see the Liverpool game going? Do you think we need a win? Do you trust Jose? Do you trust Declan to be in his bag for Champions League next year? What, what's your take on, on not just how they go, but how we need to approach those yeah. as well? I think for me that the Leicester Tottenham game is going to be the uh, the critical one. So, you know, I'm looking at that and seeing if if Tottenham win, and you know, given sort of maybe the little kind of run of form they've been on, potentially they can um, hopefully sort of come through and 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 do us a favour there. Um, that 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 for me is going to be the critical one because I think going into that sort of last game of the season, if we can sort of nick a point against Liverpool. They've been very strange, though, this kind of restart. And again, I don't know, you know, obviously there's there's talk of them that, you know, it's going to be the trophy lift and all that sort of stuff during the game and they might be a bit more motivated, but they they didn't look anywhere near the kind of same team as, um, you know, that we've seen this season against Arsenal. I do think that, you know, regardless of, of how good Klopp is as a manager, that, you know, the, the players will find it difficult to reach the kind of levels that they've had um, you know, kind of when they were sort of charging towards the title. So I just hope that if we go into that game, I mean, it's one of those where I think that I would, I would look to, to play our sort of counter-attacking type formation. You know, probably, I mean, you know, Kante and, and Kovacic would be one other in midfield. I just try and hit them on the counter, try and try and score early. Um, I think if we get a draw in that game and, and the, the Tottenham result goes our way, Leicester draw, for example, um, then I've got confidence going into, into the Wolves game. I do think that now that Wolves are kind of out of the equation, that I'm, a, I'm not saying that they're going to turn up and roll over, but they're another team that play a system that I think we should match up against. You mm-hmm. know, that if we don't, that's going to be problematic. So I think I think your point about Liverpool is it just it just depends on the day. But I think does, yeah. people really underestimate how hard it is to motivate yourself when you've accomplished the thing that you are out to do. Um, yeah, like. Burnley, they're just okay. Yeah, the metrics they're fine. Like okay, they created all these shots against Burnley, Arsenal, whatever. But Burnley in particular and the City game, the first one after, it's just it was just a night and day. It's just a case of whether they just think you know what we've been a bit slack, we've let people down maybe, and then we want to really put on a show. But I think if we're at a hundred percent, I don't see how they can get to a hundred percent just because they got what they wanted. Yeah, and it's just a human thing where you can't do the same. Now they're ninety might beat our 100. That's the that's the thing. But I think if we are at that 100 and we're fully fit, because that is another little sort of worry about this running, is that Kante's gone down, Kovacic had a bit of an Achilles issue, um, Rhys James hasn't been entirely right, Pulisic and William looked absolutely gassed out against um, Norwich, having played pretty much every minute leading up to it. Um, Giroud, Tammy... Both, neither of them look great over 90, to be honest. They both feel like they both need to play every game. So it's, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, think, I think you're right in terms of, I think we need to really, really, especially Frank, get the, the selections right in terms of how we approach them and how we nullify things and what spaces we need to exploit. Um, speaking of before we get there, how do you, not necessarily from a tactical point of view or personnel point of view, but how do you then approach United. So if, if we just start our sort of preview of the FA Cup yeah. fixture coming up. Frank Lampard is a winner. Frank Lampard is old guard Chelsea. Frank Lampard is want to win every game. Frank Lampard also showed that against Norwich, 
he can put in a few and rest a few here and there and he's not stupid in terms of just playing everyone. How far do you think he's going to go in terms of prioritising the league for the FA Cup? Because he, he said after Sheffield United, again, vexed, but he's not really thinking about top four, especially if you've got assurances from like a, a Havertz that no, no, top four is cool. I still think financially it's critical. I think maybe yeah. saying it in anger, financially it's critical, prestige-wise it's critical, don't get me twisted, but I almost wonder if he's one of those people who would still rather a cup, um, who's someone who would have been around for what those first trophies under Mourinho felt like. It was a league cup, but everyone kind of credits it with really kick-starting something. And then I wonder if he just sees the value in knockout football and semi-finals and finals for people like Reese James, Sammy Abraham, Mason Mount as as invaluable as getting top four. I, I don't know. I'm not in his head. Personally, I'd send Nanny Myers in the 23s, no bother, have an extra training session, do set pieces for six hours, lovely, cool, go be Liverpool. I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I'm usually a trophies man, but I think his um, top four is too important. But how do you think he's going to approach it and how would you? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a tough one because if this is me, then, you know, Hudson Adoy starting, Tammy starting, Pedro starting, so none of the, none of the front three that's played like the quote-unquote important games you know, Rubens in midfield, probably whoever else is going to play in there with him. I would go massively heavy rotation. I wouldn't start maybe, unless it's Aspilicueta, because he just seems to to play forever. But I wouldn't really look to start any of the players I want to play against Liverpool. Um, how Lampard would approach, I think the point about him him valuing those trophies is, is really, really key here. Um, I would be disappointed if he went with like Giroud and guys that I think should play against Liverpool. Um, but I can see him still trying to go and, and win a win a trophy. I mean, I think, it, as you say, that's kind of the mentality and the DNA that Lampard has. The only thing I can think of is, you know, if he has learned some of the lessons that he's accrued over this season about overplaying players, and I know we're, we're going to dig into this a bit later, but you know, that for me has been one of his thoughts, is, is freezing out players at the wrong time and, and maybe sort of pushing players to kind of beyond their sort of natural capacity. So I'm hoping that certainly the, the weekend... It's a it's a chance for some of the fringe players to play, um, you know, sort of just really just give them a, a run out in terms of the game, see what happens. Because it's not that if you if you go and play a you know close to full strength team, if you do get beat, okay, it's the FA Cup, but that that momentum may carry over into the Liverpool game in terms of the mentality. So I'm trying to protect the guys that that are going to be key in the Liverpool game. Um, I think that the the top four finish, as much as it is, it is something that we used to laugh at Arsenal for. It is very critical to the club. I think in terms of the financial side of things to finish in, in Europe. So for me, that that is 100% what I'd be prioritising and just give the, the fringe players and the squad guys a run out on the weekend and just see what happens. That is the real thing though, isn't it? It's the Arsenal, Arsenal-ification yeah. of this whole thing. And it's it's a bit sad, man. Like I just, how yeah. we're so dependent now on just finishing for like, okay, maybe with the reinforcements, we're not going to, do the Arsenal process of we have to finish fourth so we can get battered in the last round of 16 just to get the money up and <laughs> the pretend, cycle. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And pretend yeah, that yeah. we're still a somebody even though no one's joined there in three years. Like It's just a bit sad in terms of indictment of where football's going. I get that the fan thing kind of changes the trophy this year as well for me. Like It's not a, a Wembley day and this, that and the other. And okay, yeah. talk about the FA Cup not having the prestige that it did and whatever, but but that's where you learn to 
win these things and that's what you do the game for that's what you play for is what you motivate yourself for okay leagues cool great but i don't know man maybe maybe i think a lot of listeners disagree i'd be i'd be interested to see the reactions on on the twitter actually but i just feel like i just i don't know fifth in an fa cup or fourth and get smacked three nil by united the second one just doesn't sound it doesn't it doesn't come across nice (laughs) no it doesn't man and i think it's just I think it will actually tell us a lot about um, Lampard, whichever way he goes. And I don't think there's a wrong way to go, but I will, I will slightly rate him if he's just like, no, nah, do you know what? The FA Cup matters. We have, just because of the context of who we have, we have a young squad who's not won anything. Um, I'd, I'd be interested. I think I'd rate it um, as much as I can often criticise kind of him running people into the ground and this and the other I don't necessarily want him to do it, if I'm honest, but I would grudgingly respect it. And I think we'll find out kind of, kind of what, he's, what he's like as a gaffer, really. Um, so, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's it for today, mate. It's just been you and me. We've been, we've been in, in a quiet, quiet little, little Zoom call without, without the usual fracas. It's been more a touchline chinwag than a, than a fracas. <laughs> the rebrand, the official rebrand for next season. But yeah, but any, any, anything else on anything else on your mind in terms of how things are going? I think one of my one of my concerns is just is just getting over the line. Um, yeah, I agree. It's it's a point now where I think that you can see. It's, I mean, and again, it's not just us, but it's it's really you know this massively unusual situation that we're in. Every side is running on fumes, um, and it's really just about dragging yourselves over the line now. I mean, it's you know it's interesting to see this top four race go you know, as close as it is, I think, you know, we're very much to blame. It could have been sewn up by now. If we'd have just beaten West Ham, for example, I think we'd have been in a much more comfortable position. Um, but, you know, it kind of, this is the reality of, of, of where we are. And yeah, it's, it's just been a question. I really think it's really going to be just, you know, who, who's got the fresh set of legs on the last day of the season. You know, if, we, if we've got to go into game that, you know, with walls and it's in our hands, then, you know, I would back us to, to come through that. But, you know, stranger things have happened. So it's just been a weird kind of season. I think you're right. It's just, you know, get it get it over and done with now and then get prepared for this uh, mini Champions League thing where we're going to play one game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and last one to round us off, conspiracy hat on. Which is more likely? Leicester and United playing out a draw on purpose on the last day, number one. Liverpool rolling over so that United don't get Champions League. Number two, or Mourinho being the spiteful, bitter old man that we all know him to be and rolling over so his young protege, Frank, doesn't get his due credit for, for sneaking into the top four. Which is most likely out of those? Oof, that, that third one sounds quite appealing because I think if, if, they, if they lose to Leicester, then it obviously also hurts United's chances a little bit as well. Oh my um, gosh, I forgot how much skin in the game this man has. Yeah, yeah. So Joe, he's, he's got, got so many scorned exes that he could upset him. <laughs> so I think that, I mean, the, the, the one that's going to get the most attention is that Leicester Man United one. If there is potential for them to play out a draw and, uh, you know, it's starting to look a bit fishy, then, then that's going to be interesting. But yeah, so I mean, I think in terms of like a likely conspiracy, maybe that one, but the one that I want to see is, is Jose just have, have another one of his little kind of moments in his career. I think it's uh, another fantastic kind of string to his bow, the spiteful think, exes. And then it will just be, ah, uh, nah, 
Brendan, my young guy from the reserves, he's really come up clutch. We know what you did. We know what you did. I feel like um, if, if that, that draw scenario does look likely, it's going to have to be a helicopter or a yacht or a jet or a tinted car driving to Leicester, meeting all the players and just sort of saying, the Russian wants a word. <laughs> Whoever scores the winning goal against United or throws the game, depending on which way it goes, we will guarantee Champions League football and, our, and, a, and a decent little wage and signing bonus at Chelsea this year. Do you know what? I'm happy with Chilwell if that's the case. If that's, <laughs> if that's what needs to happen, then I'm, then I'm good. Then I'm good. So we'll. I think, think, um, think Rogers yeah. ruled out Chilwell, didn't he? He's ruled him out playing now for the rest of the season. So. Oh, was he? Right. Yes. Yeah, so that he, is the he, thing. He, Let's he, have he a lot out. Let's have a lot out against Spurs. That is the thing. I did see. Yeah. Um, uh, Seongsu, for example, the the defender we probably should be looking at at them, if if any of them. Um, he's going to be a miss. I think Pereira, Chilwell, both out. Um, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, it's going to be a tight run in. I'm already exhausted. This is far more stressful than I hoped this would be. But it wouldn't really be um, Chelsea if it was any other way. Thank you, mate. It's been good to chat. Um, hopefully the boys don't all just uh, ghost us next week. It'd be, nice to get a few, it'd be nice to get a bit of a disagreement in here. I feel like we've got on far too well. But um you wag 2.0 next week. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But yeah, man, cool. All right, everybody, thank you for listening so much. This has been Chelsea Hour. Same time, same day, same thing every week. All Chelsea-related content coming straight to you from Chelsea Hour, Touchline Frackers. Do not forget that the Patreon is now up, live, launching. We have a uh, quarter of agenda. Hell's putting people on blast for all of the things that Twitter are not, not happy that we, we may be letting go under the radar. We've got the official power rankings now launched, tracking the statistical progress of everybody and rating people on a bi-monthly or monthly basis on performance, which I'm sure is going to upset very many people because some of the unpopular boys are doing very well at the moment. Um, and then lots of analysis coming as well on lots of additional podcasts. So make sure you get onto that patreon.com forward slash Chessie Hour. Joe, been a pleasure as always. And I'll see you after a few more games. Yeah, thanks mate. Take care as When I shot my shot, but I didn't have guts, so I hit the post. But next time it's a golden goal. And it There's more to working from home than emails. So you need Wi-Fi with reliable speed, the most in-home coverage, and built-in security. You need Xfinity XFi. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sports Social Podcast Network.